0: Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter six. If you don't, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you or there's an insert in your bulletin that will have the text on it. Before I begin this morning, I wasn't gonna say anything, but I that's like I, I I don't know what's wrong with my my health, my but I, I can I can barely keep my eyes open. I, I this last week or so uh, for a couple weeks I've been extremely dizzy and not feeling well in the morning, and this last week it's gotten worse and worse, and I don't know, I, I, I just feel completely out of it, loopy, I don't know how else to say it, but just, I just wanted to mention that in case I just go off the rails during the sermon that you know I'm not, <laughs> I'm not feeling very well, but I, I I mean, I'm here, it's not that bad, I just, I don't know, I don't feel great, but... I wanted to tell you that before it got ugly. <laughs> the uh the tale of two kings, Herod and Jesus in Mark 6 is also a tale of two banquets. In the middle part of chapter 6 last week, Herod the tetrarch of Galilee gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of it says the leading men of Galilee, his wife Herodias had a daughter who came in and danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he made an oath to give her whatever she would ask for. And through the prompting of her mother, she requested the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And because Herod didn't want to look weak in front of his guests, because he'd made an oath, he consented, and the prophet was executed, and the head was brought to the daughter on a platter. This was one banquet. Hosted by Herod Antipas, only the nobles and elites of Galilee were invited The food was prepared by gourmet chefs, most assuredly. The entertainment was exotic dancing, and the climax of the first banquet was the brutal execution of God's prophet. At another banquet, in chapter 6, the people of the land, the commoners, gathered to be fed by Jesus Christ. There the food was prepared by the Messiah. The first item on the agenda was the proclamation of the truth of God by the Son of God. And the dominant theme of this banquet was the compassion of God for people who were like sheep without a shepherd, the true heirs of the kingdom of God. In chapter 6, Mark continues to answer the question, who is this man? That here we find that Jesus is the good shepherd of Israel who cares for his sheep, the new and greater Moses who feeds God's people in the wilderness, and the end-time messianic king who hosts the great messianic banquet. Jesus prepares a table in the wilderness where those in need may come and eat and be satisfied forever. Let's pray and we'll talk about Him. Father, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may we hear His Word this morning. May we hear it clearly. Please overshadow me that I might proclaim it correctly and clearly, Father, I ask You, please watch over me Please help me. Please help all who will hear. I ask and pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me begin in verse 30 of chapter 6. Mark writes, The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So, The mission of the 12 from verses 6 through 13, whom Mark calls apostles, sent ones, only here in his gospel. That mission is completed. They return to Jesus. What they tell him echoes what we had already read in verses 12 and 13. And after all they had done, Jesus calls them to a time of rest and recuperation. In a desolate place. This was the word commonly used in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, to refer to Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. It's the same word. Jesus uses that word here, as, or the word about him here is a preview of the fact that just as God supplied manna in the desolate wilderness for Israel, Jesus will feed Israel in a remote place also. They need to withdraw to get rest because Jesus' popularity continues to draw these great suffocating crowds. Jesus recognizes that his disciples need this, so he uses a boat, probably belonging to one of the disciples, to escape. And we pick it up in verse 33. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. So their attempt to get away for a while is unsuccessful. Guessing where they might have been going, traveling from one point on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee to another. The crowd runs ahead, gets there first. How will Jesus respond to this annoyance, so to speak? When the Pharisees and scribes get in His way, He confronts them. What about the crowds here in verse 34? When He went ashore, He saw a great crowd, and He had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. The Greek word, translated here as compassion is used to describe only Jesus in the whole New Testament this is the compassion of God for sinners in need beloved this goes way beyond human concern and empathy for people in pain this is the heart of our Lord for sinners the Bible pretty often uses the imagery of shepherds and sheep to describe people in need and those God has sent to care for them Without a shepherd, sheep are scattered. They become subject to starvation and dehydration and attacks from wild animals. It was prophesied, however, in Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, Micah 5, Zechariah 13, that the coming Messiah from the line of David would be a shepherd over God's flock. When Jesus sees the people here as sheep without a shepherd, it's an indictment on the present spiritual leadership in Israel. The leaders were neglecting and exploiting the sheep rather than caring for them. So Jesus knows why they're so anxious to be around him. He knows why they've come. He knows the need is great. And this isn't just a shepherd. This is the shepherd. And look how he cares for his flock. Look how his compassion comes out. He began to teach them many things. So the main way in which Jesus, the Messiah, shepherds the sheep is by his word, beloved. That's why, by the way, pastors whom the Bible calls elders are referred to in Scripture as under shepherds. Our primary responsibility is to feed the sheep. The congregation belongs to the Lord. They are his sheep. And in God's providence, he has given them elders to keep them fed. Not giving them food that will make them sick, but will nurture them. The very word of God. When Jesus set out to feed and to care and show compassion for his sheep, he taught them his word. What does that tell us about the word of God in his son? That that is how he shows us his compassion. This is what feeds and heals and cares for and sustains The soul of the believer The word of God in Christ So without the word We are not only cut off from the truth Beloved we are cut off from God's compassion For us His concern for us That's why the word is so critical To the believer He reminds us of this again and again Through Christ in his gospel We will forget about his love And his mercy and his grace If we are not fed constantly And consistently By his word, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So it's most likely already late afternoon. They're in a desolate place again, a remote area. Notice here that set against the backdrop of Jesus' compassion in verse 34 is the compassion here from the disciples. They are genuinely concerned about the people's need for food, but also realize this. Their compassion is limited by their ability and their resources. So the most they can do in this situation is have concern and empathy if they forget that Jesus is With them, If they forget that he has authority over everything. But in their thinking, how in the world could they possibly come up with enough food to feed 5,000 people? And that's just describing the men in the crowd. They've just returned from a mission in which they demonstrated the very authority of Jesus to teach, to heal, to cast out demons. And they did so without money or food or bag. And yet, obviously, God has provided for them. All Jesus is doing by telling them... To give the crowd something to eat is to continue drawing from his authority. He's going to see if they've learned this. So he commands them. You give them something to eat. I'm here. You can do this. And their response to that forgets everything the Lord has done, but is extremely practical. We can understand it. They're saying, surely you don't mean for us to buy bread. It would cost 200 denarii to buy this much bread. One denarius was worth about a day's wage for a laborer, which means 200 denarii was over half a year's salary for the common laborer. They didn't have it. These are fairly recently unemployed fishermen and other commoners traveling with an itinerant rabbi. But their rabbi is Jesus, the one who comes with the authority to usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus is going after the way they think about resources in light of his presence and his mission. Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. So Jesus makes it clear that he intends to work with what they have. Because he intends to show them that it is not what we possess that determines what Jesus can do. Beloved, they have the common staples of the Galilean region available. Five, probably to sized pieces of flatbread about 8 inches across, 1 inch thick and then what would be either you know, 2 pieces of either dried or smoked fish and for 5,000 men plus women and children that should be plenty right verse 39 then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by 50 the wording here Is very interesting to say the least. He told them to sit down on the green grass, to be specific. Like a shepherd who makes people lie down in green pastures as he restores their souls. And the language, the word he uses for this is reminiscent of a banquet. He commanded them to sit down in groups by hundreds and fifties. The word for groups here originally referred to what was happening at a drinking party, which came to be known really as a dinner party or a banquet. If you remember, God's people in Exodus 18, Israel, was organized in companies of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. The allusion here is to the fact that once more, God is providing bread for His people in the wilderness. Jesus is alluding to the Messianic banquet, the great, in time salvation symbolized as a great feast with the finest of meats and the best of wines Jesus is preparing their hearts for the feast over which one day in the future he will preside he is telling them that he is the host of this great coming banquet verse 41 and taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people and he divided the two fish among them all And they all ate and were satisfied. In John's gospel, when Jesus feeds this crowd of 5,000, John adds that Jesus explicitly refers to himself as the bread that has come down from heaven. Jesus here looking up to heaven. This is the posture of prayer. Maybe Jesus prayed the ancient Jewish blessing that they prayed over their meals. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringest forth bread from the earth. Only this time... The bread has come through the earth from heaven to feed not just our bodies, but our souls. And this miracle, which is amazing, is described in Mark without any fanfare whatsoever. Jesus just made the food multiply as they were handing it out. Despite only having two fish and five pieces of bread, all ate and were satisfied. The abundance of food here has end-time implications since The time of God's salvation was promised to be one of peace and prosperity and abundance. There were even leftovers. Why did the miracle require leftovers? What would be the point of having more food than you needed when you took a little bit to multiply to thousands upon thousands of people? What would be the point of leftovers? You've already proven your point. Why do you need more than you need? Because the point goes well beyond The moment and the food, beloved. Verse 43, And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. From a sensible perspective, right? Twelve disciples. Each carried a basket of leftovers which made twelve baskets. But it doesn't seem like Jesus is doing anything mundane even when it's mundane. Right, Where the word of Jesus is, everyone has everything they need. But I also think the new Moses is in the wilderness restoring the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew lets us know in his account that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So again, the crowd was much greater than 5,000 people total. What Jesus did here was amazing. And yet, even in Mark where amazement has been part of the theme... The response of the crowd isn't even recorded in Mark's account. Most of the crowd, at least initially, probably had no idea where the food came from, right? Not everybody could see, but the disciples did. The twelve knew precisely what had happened. And Mark's immediate audience, remember, for his gospel is made up mainly of persecuted, suffering disciples of Jesus, marginalized and left in the desolate Wilderness of an evil empire surrounded by the masses that hated them, but not overlooked or forgotten by their savior. Beloved, most of us know this story, but our Lord Jesus walks the hills and valleys and deserts of the wilderness of the world seeking that which was lost all the time. This is what he does. This is who he is. And there, He prepares a table where those in need may come and eat and be satisfied forever. Even the desolate places yield food enough for the masses when the Word of God is the bread. None go hungry when the food is His ever-present Word. Jesus is a shepherd that has come to feed His sheep with the Word that will never run out. Three times in this text, It reminds us that it was a desolate place. Three times. Because these are the very places where Jesus provides abundance. I love the image of Jesus in the wilderness feeding his people, shepherding them by his word because he was motivated by divine compassion for people. He felt this. That's what I need. That's what you need. A God filled with limitless power who is also filled with indescribable compassion. We don't realize how much we need Him. We don't realize how fortunate we are that the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. In the book of Numbers, the people of Israel were so discontented with God's provision that they wanted to go back to Egypt. God had... Supernaturally given them bread from heaven every day in the form of manna. But they were tired of it. They wanted variety. They'd forgotten because of that the yoke that had been on their necks in Egypt. They had forgotten that they were slaves under the brutal oppression of Pharaoh. They were ready to give up their citizenship in the kingdom of God for things like leeks and onions and garlic. You see, when you say it like that, it seems rather silly. Yes. It was. And this scene in Mark is the beginning of a series of events that will increase in severity, highlighting the lack of faith even in his disciples. It's like a running theme. It's tragically ironic. The more the disciples saw him do, the more their faith decreased, the more confused and doubtful they became. Israel had been led out of slavery and oppression in Egypt by God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. He parted the Red Sea for them. He gave them his law, made a covenant with them to be their God that they might be his people. He made them promises of blessing and multiplication and influence and peace if they would only remain faithful to him and they got tired of his bread. They wandered around in the wilderness like sheep without a shepherd for 40 years when the Lord was their shepherd. And as we come into the time of Jesus and His public ministry, ministry, we find that His own disciples still are not believing in Him as this narrative continues. His own people, Israel, will not just reject their Messiah as by and large they still do today. They will crucify Him and say, we have no king but Caesar. As they once had said basically... We want Pharaoh as our king again. This is the struggle of humanity, even of God's people, in the desolate wilderness of the world. No matter how far into the wilderness of pain and guilt and frustration and dissatisfaction our choices and our unbelief take us, we keep going further into it, thinking eventually we will find the thing that fills our hearts, that meets our needs, better than God has promised to. We wander in the desolate places of this world seeking forgiveness and identity and contentment and satisfaction and truth and meaning when all the while the Lord has spread a table in the wilderness where those who are in need may come and eat and be satisfied forever. He is the bread. He is the wine that we seek. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the provision. He, in His person, what He says, who He is for all of our needs. By his life, his death, his resurrection, he provides us with righteousness, forgiveness, justification, eternal life, bread from heaven, living water, the truth, beloved, the truth. So he says things like, seek first his kingdom, and all these other things will be added unto you. That's what the leftovers are trying to tell us, at least in part. Don't think he isn't practical. But there's nothing we need that Jesus is going to withhold from us. The world is a desert. He is the oasis. And we keep wandering. We keep searching. Even as a church, churches, we often wonder. We, we look inward, into ourselves. What do we need to do? What do we need to do to grow? And so we focus on our effort, our money, our talents, our resources. When Jesus is in the room. Right. everything we need to crack the code of Moundsville, we have in Jesus. If, If you were, maybe I've used this illustration before, it just makes sense to me anyway. If you were moving, and there was a moving truck out front, and you had a couple guys there to help you move, and you had the Incredible Hulk there also, would anybody carry anything? Or would you just say, Incredible Hulk, can you get the couch? What sense would it make to put guys on the refrigerator if you have the Incredible Hulk, right? In some silly way, this is what we do when we look at each other trying to figure out what to do. I'm not going to call Jesus the Incredible Hulk, but you understand the metaphor, right? He's here. He's in the room. He's present. It makes no sense To keep rummaging around trying to find something that will work. He's enough. He works. Look at what he did here. They had five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. And over 5,000 people ate until they were totally full, totally satisfied. And just to drive the point home, there was more than they needed. More than they needed. That's what we have at our disposal all the time. That's how this story pertains to... The life of the church, not just in the word, but in the provision. Jesus spreads a table. And we aren't chefs, beloved. We're butlers. Our job is not to come up with a menu. Our job is to get it to the table without messing it up. That's what we do. That's all we do. He is spreading a table for them. He is spreading a table for you and I. Salvation is found in Christ alone. He walks the desolate places. Jesus walks in the places where there is too much guilt for the world to forgive. That's where Jesus is. Jesus walks in the places where there's too much of a mess for us to clean up. Jesus walks in the places where there's too much baggage for us to carry anymore. And I want to invite you all to this table. Come and feast on the Son of God. Let the weary come. Let the broken come. Let the too messy and too dirty and too filled with sin. Let them come. Come to the table. He took me. I know He'll take you. No matter how many come, he just keeps multiplying. That's part of what he's saying here. Look, I'm not going to run out. You can't exhaust my resources. You can't exhaust me. You can't exhaust him. He's inexhaustible. You and I know no one like this. The best love that a human being can have will finally run out. It will have a limit. Our food will finally run out. It will have a limit. Come and eat where there is no limit, where there's bread forever. Come and buy because it costs nothing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Some of you this morning undoubtedly do not believe in Him as this. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Nothing that you have to confess is something He hasn't seen before. I I guarantee you that you won't ruin the curve. Just come to Him. That's what we're inviting you to. Forgiveness. It's, It's not up to me. It's not true because I say it is. It's true because it's true. That's why I say it. Come to Jesus. If you repent of your sins, if you ask Him to forgive you, If you confess that He is Lord, the Lord who died and rose from the grave, you will be saved. God says it. That settles it. You will be saved. No one can footnote that. No one can qualify that. God is the one dealing out forgiveness here. Nobody can interrupt it. The table spread for you. The table spread for everybody in here. Pull out the chair that has your name on it and sit down and be served by the Son of Man. Christianity is not about what you and I bring to the one who has so much he can make leftovers for probably more than 10,000 people. That's not what this is. This is an invitation to come and feast, not to come and cook, not to come and prepare. Come and take what has been prepared, what has been accomplished. Jesus is so good. He's so full. He's so sufficient. He's so perfect. You don't know what you're missing. Don't reject this. Don't look this in the eye and reject it. There's no reason to. The worse you are, the more likely it is He came for you. And sometimes worse is not knowing how bad you really are. There's people that think they're too dirty to come. There's people that think they're too clean to come. Both have the same disease. They just cough differently. Come to Jesus. Come to Him. The Son of Man will serve your soul all that it needs. And that same thing is precisely what I invite you to also, believer. The places are always desolate with life in this world under the sun. Always desolate. The food is always scarce while doubt and unbelief are always in great supply. But Jesus spreads a table in every kind of wilderness, even the kinds that His children sometimes run into. He is there. The table is spread. The places are set. Come to Him and live. Come to Him and live. Come to the table of Jesus Christ.